All right, awesome. Hayden Wiseman, thanks for joining me, man. Thanks for having me. How's it going? Oh, good, man. And thanks for getting up early for me as well. That's <laughs> okay. It's not that early. I'm just uh, need a lot of sleep. No, I think um, I think a lot of people will get a lot out of having someone like you on the podcast. Um, and what I usually do, if you don't mind, is uh, get the guests to just talk about their training background, like where you started as a kid or as a teenager and where you're up to now. Yeah, so I started karate when I was about four um, and did that until I was probably 18. Uh, it was just traditional karate, so no like jump kicks. It was all like, you know, punches and catters and stuff like that. Um, and I wasn't that passionate about it, but it was something to do every week. And then when I was probably about 15, I saw uh, like XMA on TV. So they had a bunch of like jump spin kicks and stuff. And I was like, wow, this is way cooler than what, what I do. And, um, you know, as a kid watching like Power Ranger films and everything, you always kind of want to be that superhero that can do all these cool flips and fight scene stuff. Um, so yeah, I found some tutorials for it online started learning um went out every day on the grass got fairly good um for back in those days anyway and then um by the time i was about 18 so i'd done it for three years at that point went to university uh they didn't have a gymnastics center anywhere but they had a cheerleading team i knew that cheerleaders did tumbling so um that was a good place for me to practice in winter because they had some mats and stuff so i practiced there um the coach was on the uk team at the time and she wanted me to go go with her at the weekends so that so they had a sprung floor for me to train on. Um, so I basically used those weekends to train as much as possible to finally have a gym. And eventually did like a world championship in cheerleading, uh, mainly as a tumbler. And throughout that time as well, sort of when I got to probably college age, which in the UK is about 16, I started like weightlifting to supplement the tricking. Uh, because as you know, it was back on Tricks Tutorials where you had Juji running it. Um, and he was always into weightlifting and stuff and said it was beneficial for tricking. So I kind of, as a kid, started blindly following his advice. And it turned out great. Um, so I kind of now mix powerlifting, tricking, weightlifting. Uh, and I kind of switch between all these different things, just trying to improve them one by one. Mm-hmm. Um, let's... Uh backtrack to the first part of it so did you find um with that traditional karate and then you saw the xma the extreme that's extreme martial arts or extreme martial arts tricking right yeah um did you so you were drawn to the xma because it was just more exciting than the traditional karate it seemed to let you incorporate your own style yeah so that made me way more motivated at when I was actually going to like the traditional karate because I knew that what I was already doing was good for coordination and fitness and if I put more kind of effort into that it would improve tricking so I kind of got a lot better at karate in those three years when I was tricking than I did doing karate alone just because I had the motivation to be more athletic Mm, mm. and what did you find if anything was uh some great uh overlapping benefits of having that karate background going into tricking definitely like round kicks and hook kicks um obviously i've done those over more than 10 years by the time i started tricking so just some basic things like getting your planted foot toes pointing backwards instead of forwards a lot of people don't pivot pivot on that foot and it puts their hips like square to the target instead of side on where you need to be to get a nice round kick or hook kick so when I was learning the kicks in tricking, they kind of came naturally to me because that was my default position um, at the point the kicks came out. So that definitely helped. And then just general, general coordination and, you know, we did warm-ups and uh, little bits of conditioning here and there during the classes. And what would you say is the main difference? Because if I think of traditional karate, I'm thinking, I don't know that much about it, so feel free to correct anything I'm saying, but I'm thinking of there's the practice and obviously has the self-defense application, but you've also got a lot of carters and stuff, which is, uh, even though you would do them to grade for your next belt or to demonstrate your ability, that is also a type of show 
And that's pretty much all I associate tricking with is it's not necessarily for, you wouldn't go to it for self-defense. No, definitely not. It's a demonstration, like it kind of has that overlap with the kicks being incorporated, but it is very much just a, a showy aesthetic demonstration. Um, so what would you say is like having done both is the main difference between something like the traditional karate that incorporates, it still has that showy element. And then you've got tricking, which is entirely that. Is it just that self-defense aspect? Because you, you could double cork onto someone if you had to. Yeah, you could, and it would probably hurt. I mean, there's clips of people getting hit hit by tricks, and uh, it looks pretty brutal. <laughs> They're nasty, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a, a good point. I think, like, a lot of people that do martial arts, it's more about the discipline and, um, you know, memorization and coordination and stuff like that. Some of it I don't think would be that useful in self-defense. Maybe karate people will, will disagree. Um if you want to be good at self-defense, you know, boxing or MMA or something like that is way uh, more efficient and effective. Um, and a lot of people that will do karate will say that the katas are actually practicing self-defense. And, you know, you see those martial arts films where they do a kata and then it flicks to them using it in a fight and stuff like that sometimes. But, um, yeah, in my personal opinion, I don't think it's great for self-defense. Obviously, tricking is even worse for self-defense. Um, but they both have benefits. Yeah, I'm not sure how much of a parallel this is, but you might be able to contrast, say, um, two types of dance. You've got ballet, which would be the equivalent to karate, where it's dance, just like karate is a martial art, but both tend to be quite strict and disciplined um, with minimal space to be expressive. It's just very generalized. And then you're looking at tricking and then hip-hop style dancing, which is so much more individualized. It gives the individual the opportunity to fully express them. Because early on, I remember being on Tricks Tutorials and would pe when people would release their next sampler, which was a collaboration of all their best stuff, you would be excited and enjoy specific people's um, videos because of they had such a strong style that you enjoyed. Did you find that that was uh, one of the main things that drew you to tricking compared to that martial art background was because you could finally kind of work on what you wanted and do the things that you wanted definitely there's um i'm not really one that always likes to follow the rules and be regimented in everything i do and when you go to a class like karate or ballet or whatever if you're being taught a specific thing and you really don't enjoy that part of it you kind of have to do it anyway um whereas with tricking because no one really does it and there's no authority governing it it is kind of just do what you want freestyle acrobatics and everyone does have such different styles um and again when people make samplers like you said their style of making samplers can be really different um and some will fit with your style and some won't but that's fine it's all like an individual thing and even the choice of music and stuff like that all feeds that yeah so then you said around did you say it was teenager or college that you started the cheerleading stuff i started that when i was at university so when i was 18 university right so then that's what led you to have access to a sprung floor for the first time is that right yeah it was um once every two weeks they had like um so the, the university club didn't have a sprung floor we used to roll out like normal mats every session and that was like twice a week but i still tumbled there and practiced tricking there that was in summer, obviously, I practiced on grass as well. That was just a good spot for the winter. And then um, when I went to the UK team, the training was every fortnight. But it was like a three-hour drive away. So someone used to drive me there. And um, they had a gym for both days, the Saturday and the Sunday. So I had two days of, like, solid training. And I, I used all that time. Like, when everyone was having breaks, I was um, that was my time on the floor to trick instead of doing the cheerleading stuff. And... Did you find that it improved your game a lot to have access to the sprung floor? Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, did you find that uh, having access to the sprung floor, did that improve your game miles more than if you were only training on, say, grass or concrete? or? Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's a slight, slightly different technique between grass and like a sprung, a sprung floor. It's, it's so minimal, though. It's just the timing. You have to wait slightly longer for the floor to lift you up when you don't get that from grass. Um, but now I have a gym pretty much all the time. 
I take it for granted, but all that practice I had really did help, just because it is a slightly different technique. Is that Eastwood? Uh, Eastern, yeah. I normally go to the, the university one now, because the, the university where I live, which is the university I went to, built like a full, fully equipped Olympic gymnastics centre in the year I left university. So, uh, I, yeah, I was pretty, pretty annoyed about it. But I can still go, luckily, because I'm alumni at that university, I can go to the uh, student sessions still, as if I'm a student, but I kind of just stroll in and keep my head down so no one really asks me any questions and uh, train with them. Yeah, I think it's invaluable to have that. Just, and you know, like any kind of gymnastics center to have access to, just because of the, um, it's, it's kind of ballsy to just be training on grass and stuff, but I think you're just that little bit limited if you don't have that complete freedom and uh, that that little bit extra oomph that the spring floor gives to learn to go that step ahead. Exactly, and foam pits and stuff as well. I mean, if you want to try learning double flips, you kind of need a foam pit. Yeah, because there's just no, um, it's like a full stop if you like can't do that on the grass. You're going to fuck yourself up. If you can't do it, but in a phone fit, you can just keep giving yourself those chances. Okay, well, that's awesome. So, was so okay. So yeah, so that gym and was Eastern. Neither of those were around when you were going to college. No, so Eastern did have a gymnastics club, um, but they had like they had like a rented out um, basketball hall. They used to rent out each week, and they used to roll mats out. Um, so again, no sprung floor, no foam pit. And the guy that ran that gym, um, he really wanted to get like a fully equipped place. So he got some funding and um, saved up for a number of years and then built the new the new Eastern that you've been to when you were here. Well, yeah, the two places you have now in Norwich are awesome. It's, yeah, could you imagine having access to that when you were, say, like 15 to 25? Oh, I'd be so much better. Just because when you're that age, you absorb so much more info as well. I know. Did you happen to get, this is a random question, get shin splints when you went from training all the time on grass and stuff to that sprung floor? Yeah, I you think did? I had some shin splints anyway, but it was worse with sprung floor. Uh, front flips are like particularly bad for getting them just because you're hitting at that the angle, at that impact where it's going to cause it. And yeah, that, it was horrible. Like just walking was really painful. I had to walk slow. If I walked fast anywhere, um, I'd like have to stop and stuff so yeah awful did you have any <laughs> this is kind of a dumb question i guess did you have any kind of issue when you went to a it might have been different where you were when you went to these set like was it an open session or were they cheer sessions when you went to your first training on sprung floor oh the first training it was like a cheer session but it was a bit of a weird setup because basically I could already do like double fulls and stuff by the time I, I went to university. And in cheerleading, that's kind of one of the highest level tumbles you can do because triples are not allowed and double flips are not allowed. So a, du a double fall is like a pretty high level tumbling move. So this UK team wanted some good tumblers. And because the coach at my university was on that team as a normal, um, you know, regular team member, she kind of wanted to poach me for that UK team. So she badged it up as, how about you come with me just to use the sprung floor and watch and see if you like it. And uh, so the, the gym actually had like a, a main sprung floor where they did cheer and then like a big side tumble track, but it was like one of those really wide ones. So for the first session, I basically just stayed on that tumble track and I could trick there and watch the cheerleading session. Um, second session, I, I did a bit of both. And then by the third session, they were like, look, do you want to join the team? You can train here every two weeks you can do your tricking in the breaks but you have to do the cheer routines um and i'm like yeah that's fine it was worth it for me uh, and it was fun I met loads of people um when we went to yeah, worlds I, I can still see you do it now i can still see like on your instagram every now and then you're still incorporating yeah, occasionally it. it's hard to find a flyer because i'm not in that scene anymore i don't know who does it and who doesn't um but occasionally when i find find a flyer it's fun I was going to say, it must have helped a little bit with your Olympic lifting as well, just with that overhead stuff. I know it's not um, very applicable, but at the very least, probably, you're probably thinking, man, I wish I did Olympic lifting 
and then transition to the cheerleading, the friggin' lockouts and that would have been on point. So when I, I first learned some of the cheerleading stuff and that gave me a bit of a base, but it took quite a long while to learn and get the balance. When I went to Olympic lifting, um, obviously it was a bit easier from that, but after doing Olympic lifting for a bit and going back to the, the stunning part of cheerleading, it was way easier. So the Olympic lifting helped the cheerleading way more than the other way around. Yeah, I would, I would say that um, Olympic lifting is, like, it annoyingly has that, technical aspect for everyone to get over to start actually lifting decent weight um but if you can get over that hurdle and learn olympic lifting early it helps with so many other sports and i would say the same for like basic gymnastics body weight strength things like that and then i would even put another branch out there for tricking and tumbling and stuff because with the you might have found it with some of the grappling that i've done wrestling uh jiu-jitsu that aerial awareness that you get from tricking and uh, tumbling really comes into play just in those scrambles, just helping you to know where you are. Um, so yeah, I, I love seeing that, the stuff that you invested in early. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of lucky, I guess. Yeah, I mean, um, how much did you find that, uh, kind of jumping ahead, but that MMA fight that you did was about, was it two years ago now? Um yeah it was getting on for two years ago yeah yeah time goes so quick hey? did, did you just want to give a little backstory to how that came about yeah so i did like a bit of mma when i was younger um probably when i was about 18 i went to a couple of sessions for probably like six weeks um and when i was at school i also did boxing for about a year um and i saw like an advert on instagram for a charity mma fight it was like eight weeks free training have a fight in a cage all for cancer research um and i was like okay why not go for it at the at the time i signed up my cardio was really bad so i sort of clicked this link in instagram put my name in and it was like great you're registered and i was like wow it's, it's really happening now um was this on a whim or was this you were looking for something to do that was different to what you'd been doing in the past training wise it was kind of just on a whim and as i saw it i was like well i do need to do some cardio because i haven't done that for a while I uh, haven't done MMA or boxing for ages. It'd be cool to have a few more sessions. Um, and, it, and it wasn't something I had to, like, dedicate myself to. Um, I knew it was only going to be eight weeks, and then I'd have the fight, and then I could leave and do whatever I want. So it's not like when you join a club, they, you know, you, you don't really want to go for a couple of weeks and then just quit. If you're going to join a club, you should want to join for a while and, you know, learn some skills. But... um because it was just a finite thing. I thought, you know, it's not going to detract from my normal training too much. I was actually wrong about that because I, I got a bit of a shoulder injury. But, um... Oh, was that from a, the... Um, you did a sparring session uh, grappling or it was like a little in-house competition? Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Um, it was from a Kimura? Yeah, I basically got Kimura'd um, on my arm. And because I'm quite strong, uh, when I grapple with people that have better technique than me, I can normally kind of use my strength to resist them a lot of the time um but that makes them just push harder and harder and then eventually when they do get an opportunity they push like as hard and fast as they can because they're waiting for you to react yeah and if i don't react then you know in, in this instance i just like cracked a i think it was a rotator cuff or something but i basically couldn't hang off hang off of a bar afterwards to do a chin up um my grip would just like fail and yeah it's horrible yeah, that's the most frustrating thing about, for me, um, with self-defense or MMA training is just the, the risk of injury is so much higher. Um, it's, it's so fun to do, but the more you do it, the more likely you'll get injured. And then it's going to take away from your powerlifting, from your tricking, from your bodyweight training and that kind of thing. So it is, to me, a little bit of that catch-22 that you've got to risk to get injured, to get better. But if you're interested in other things, you have to balance that as well. Like you, you could just fully get into it, but um, to me, the risk of injury isn't uh, as, as too much for me to like just full-time be into the Ooh. MMA. Yeah, I think probably avoiding injury is like the number one key to progress. Um, the amount of time I've spent out with injuries, and it's the same for most high-level athletes, I suppose. Uh, if if I could call myself that, but yeah, if you uh, prevent injury, you're just gonna get so much more training time. 
Yeah, it's just funny. Like if you think of any high level athlete, they've all got injuries. So it does come with the territory, but it's that balancing act of uh, trying to minimize it as much as you can. Like I feel the amount of injuries you would have gotten, most people who follow you or know you wouldn't be too aware of them. So from you personally, do you look at yourself as someone that has lots of injuries or do you find you've been quite successful at balancing it? I think I've been quite lucky. The uh, I've only really had minor injuries other than my torn ACL, which I had to have surgery to repair. Um, but after, after the ACL, I took a lot more time with learning technique um, and drilling all the basics. And now just my landings and everything are much more stable. And I think the powerlifting, weightlifting and stuff as well kind of helps injury prevention because my, my joints must be more stable than someone that doesn't do all of that kind of stuff. In a nutshell, I was told that the hardest part about marathon training is getting to the start line because so many people get injured. Yeah, like yeah, getting to the marathon day because the program has so many miles in it uh, for your body to run that it can be quite expected for you to get injured leading up to it and not being able to run it. So I was aware of that and I did the whole thing and I I didn't get injured. So on marathon day, I felt fresh. Um, It went how it went. But I feel like all the strength training I've done in the past got me through that, like really helped to get me through that whole program injury free. And I can, I can like really picture, man, people that don't have any strength background and go to do a marathon. I can freaking see where it comes from. Like if they've got no, if they're like full of imbalances and no strength, no stability, no like posterior chain. Um, yeah. I feel like they're fucked. Yeah. If you've done if you've done some strength training, I mean, like, it's such a big benefit. Like, just squatting, if your knees go slightly in and you learn to keep your knees out and you focus on that and then you're always stable, your body just kind of learns these positions. And I don't know, when you're running, there must be times when you kind of slip a bit or your joint almost, like, falls in a certain amount and you just know to, like, pull it back out and you're just going to be way stronger like that. It's, uh, I can see how people would get injured marathon running because a lot of people literally do no exercise, uh, sign up for something like that, <laughs> train for it, and they just don't have any background uh, to be able to do it. Yeah, I think running is one of those things where there can be a lot of inexperienced people doing it just because anyone can literally walk out the door and start putting one leg, one foot in front of the other. Um And I read this embarrassing thing on Strava. There's this app that I have for when I started running and cycling to track my workouts. It tells you like distance. If you have a fitness device, you can link it and it's like records your heart rate and all that. And they were doing, they sent me this email saying they did a survey with all their users as to why people run. It was supposed to be like this motivational um, email. And I was reading the stats and it said in the US, and I was saying this like it was a good thing and like it was fact. I was saying in the US, 40 to 50% of people that run do it for strength. And I, I read that and I was thinking like, what the fuck? Like running is not strength at all. Like it has nothing to do with strength training. So I feel like there's this whole community that are kind of a bit misinformed as to what, um, what running does for you. If that makes sense, maybe there's like this understanding that running is healthy. Therefore, I'm training. Therefore, if I'm doing that, I'm fit. There's nothing else that's needed. I'm sure it would be like a minority, but I just couldn't believe that Strava, like a massive app that's all about cardio training, admittedly, would say something like that or word it like that. Strength should not be associated with that at all. And uh, uh, yeah, you could you could make an argument for like mental strength heart and lung strength for mental strength a hundred percent but the vibe i was getting was for physical strength and um to your point of what you said earlier about how you would feel if i was running like i might feel myself doing something wrong and then correct it there's definitely um like when you're fresh compared to when you're fatigued you will run different because things are tired but it's more about um like there's definitely a technique to running and learning how to do it properly. Uh, but the main danger is because anyone can do it, 
they can go out and they could do say a kilometer and be okay but it's how they're going to go when they do like 10 20 or if they keep say they keep it up for a few weeks and they're getting miles under their belt and they haven't had any strength training so each step they're doing is going a little bit too much on the far side of the knee like that's when all those injuries and stuff happen and that's when it would have been beneficial to have had a squatting background or deadlifting like with those things you can't hide if you go to do a squat and you're weak your knees will cave in your back will round and you know that you've got to fix it up but running i feel can uh hide that a bit put a blanket over it and that's why people get messed up so how long did you have to train to do the marathon um the marathon was specifically a 16-week program but if i'd never ran before i wouldn't have just jumped into a marathon it was when i when i came over to england and met up with you in 2016 i had started doing five kilometer runs every weekend and maybe not even every weekend to be honest but that was when i had first started a taste of running and i had that whole concept of like i'll get injured if i run run is not interesting it's boring um and all of that but i was doing it because i had got injured doing mma training um i popped my arm so i couldn't do any like plant handstand or anything like that so i thought i may as well start running for that cardio aspect and uh that planted the seed so over the next few years i was getting a little bit more a little bit more conditioned to run um but i wouldn't recommend like the marath a marathon being the first thing you do because there's just too much uh time you need to invest first i think to have your body be prepared to do it so now you've done both both the strength training and the cardio training with the knowledge you have now if you had to start everything again which one would you pursue Oh, the, the strength training, 100%, man. Um, my kind of outlook is to be a generalist, like well-rounded with everything. And cardio is probably the last thing. <laughs> similar to me. <laughs> I'm now at the point where, like, if I don't address it now, I'm not really going to have time before I start getting older. So, To be fair, I think, um, I think cardio is probably the thing you could address the latest and uh, still be okay. Uh, just as long as you were, you knew to like look up a bit about technique, form, how to train and that kind of thing. But strength training, 100%. Not because, uh, well, actually, yes, because it's more interesting. Um, but also just because of what I, we were saying earlier about Olympic lifting's uh, ability to apply to so many other different movements. So if you do Olympic lifting, you could then also go and do cheerleading and be that base. You could go and... Um, yeah, you'd pick up so quickly. You could, Yeah, you can pick up so many other things quickly. Um, so 100%, I would recommend the strength training. But um, on me doing the cardio side of things, um, you did the opposite and recently did your... Was it your first, like, official powerlifting meet? Yeah, so normally in winter I train more powerlifting and some are more tricking. And I've never really fully dedicated myself to the powerlifting. Um, in, in what way? Like, how would you say you haven't fully? Because I'll only train it for a few months at a time, or I'll do a program, but I'll do a program for like, you know, 12 weeks, whereas powerlifters are doing, proper powerlifters are doing like a whole year plan and training blocks and being really consistent over a long period of time. Um, and in doing so little I'd still gotten really strong so I thought what if I just spent like a good four months training as hard as I can no tricking only powerlifting uh, just to see how strong I can get while it's winter um, and partly because the gymnastics center was closed in winter um, so uh, yeah I put the four months work in and then about a month in uh, I was like, well, if I'm putting all this work in, I might as well sign up to a competition. So I looked online, and the only one left was like a BPU meet. It was um, like squat bar, deadlift bar, monolift, knee wraps. Um, and I had to actually put myself down on the reserve list because they were out of spots. But I got an email a couple of days later saying someone had cancelled, so I had a spot. And then, obviously, it got cancelled because of the current situation. 
Uh, but I'd done all the training and I was like, well, I have all the stuff in my garage other than a monolift and squat bar. I'll just do it with a normal. What's a monolift? So a monolift is where you have hooks coming down. It's like a, imagine like a squat cage and some ho- hooks come down in the middle with the squat bar on. You then stand underneath the bar, um, unrack it, but you don't step back. You just kind of straighten your legs and lift it up. Someone then pulls a, le- pulls a lever and those hooks uh, swing out. And then you squat and then, yeah. So the benefits are if you have a really heavy weight on your back and you're walking out with it, it can be really wobbly, uh, saps a bit of your energy um, and you don't have much time to get your feet in the perfect position. Um, whereas with, with the monolift, obviously, you, you can get your feet set exactly where you want them for the squat and just do the squat. Less, t- less time with the bar on your back, um, better balance, everything like that. Okay, so that was the only thing you didn't have. Yeah, and, well, and a squat bar. So a squat bar weighs 25 kilos instead of 20, and it's thicker and it has a lot more knurling where it would rest on your back. Um, and that it surprisingly makes it quite a bit easier using a squat bar, which I didn't expect. Um, okay. Do you know why? Like, what makes it feel? I don't. I don't know why really. I, I, I'm sure some people do, and most of the powerlifting guys will know. Um, maybe it's just more surface area in contact with your back. Okay, yeah, because I can understand the knurling in terms of just digging it into your back for grip, but it being thicker, I can't picture how that would help more. Yeah, because I always thought a thin bar would be easier just from like Olympic lifting, because um, I've got small hands and stuff. But when I tried it, I felt like it was definitely easier than a normal bar. Um, so yeah, I did the, did the competition in my garage. Um, was pretty happy with the result. I think it would have been if I had I have hit those lifts in competition, it would have been like the third highest total ever in the UK for that weight class. So pretty good. That's crazy. I was gonna say like as you said, you did it. Um, you did all right. It's, I would have said you smashed it, man. Like um, it honestly shows the fact that you committed yourself to it because you weren't doing like you were doing strong lifts in the previous years when you did get into it over the winter um but the amount of weight you were lifting for this it really showed that you'd been putting all your focus into it because it was just so much higher you were saying uh like you pb'd your squat um it was either on the day or closely leading up to that um the mock competition that you did because the actual one got cancelled and it wasn't at like 20 kilos heavier than your previous PB? So it was like 30 kilos heavier, I think. Um, but a lot of that would have come from the knee wraps. Uh, I'd hit 220 with just knee sleeves. Uh, knee wraps can add a, a lot of weight if you do them right. Uh, it's basically like a really tight wrap you put around your knee. You normally have someone else do it. They crank it so tight that it's really hard to bend your legs. Um, normally I wouldn't use those, but because it was... Still, the rules of the competition obviously you have to to uh, be on par with everyone else and how do you feel using them because i've used knee sleeves um but that's just for like because my knees were sore and i noticed that the more sleeves i put on <laughs> the more i could kind of get away with still having a hurt knee but lift so i can only imagine the like using a wrap specifically to like bound it extremely tight would feel a lot you'd feel a lot stronger as you go down and come back up wraps compared to knee sleeves is a completely different uh, ball game with knee wraps it's like incredibly painful um when someone does it it squeezes your knee so tight and when they're putting it on you have to like uh tense your quad and flex your toes back to keep your kneecap in place otherwise the wrap will like pull your kneecap to the side and stuff it's like yeah, it's so it's so horrible. And one of the worst things is like tensing your leg as hard as you can because you're scared your kneecap's gonna fly off. And uh, someone wraps these wraps really tight, and then it's so painful how tight they are. And then you have to walk to the squat bar, and you're like, okay, my legs are already tired from tensing them up for so long. Um, they hurt. I just want to get this squat done. Um, if I was in competition, you know, you had to wait for an attempt or something with those wraps on, it would be awful because it just stops all the blood. Yeah, you'd have like white legs without any blood flow to them, which seems counterintuitive. The t- the tighter you wrap them, the more the more you can squat. So a lot of guys get like other power lifters that are like crazy strong to wrap their knees, and um, 
I've heard of people adding like 50 kilos or more to their squat just from the wraps. So it makes a big difference. That's crazy. There's a, a parallel to that. I feel like lame because all I can talk to you about is marathon training, which is the opposite because that's all I've been doing lately. But one of the conversations in that world is the um, like the, these Nike vapor flies and it's this new shoe that they've put out and where i think i think it's vapor fly it could be maybe another name but that's the one i got in my head and it's got like this massive cushiony heel to it and they got um nike was heavily investing in this because they were trying to break the two hour marathon so get sub two hours and they had this guy called ulid kipchoge who's a very well-known marathon runner run this distance uh, well sorry run marathon distance in on this course that was like perfect conditions so it wasn't an actual marathon it was they just did this event for him with these shoes with everything right for him to do it and he did it but whether i don't think it i can't remember if it counted as an official world record because technically official world records are broken in official marathons yeah i i saw a lot of videos about it and i think well, just because it went kind of mainstream, I think everyone considered that that was the the world record, whether it's official or not. Yeah, but the the parallel I'm thinking is there's controversy as to whether these shoes are cheating or not, because how much do they assist the runner in breaking that two hour time? Um, compared to say if he just was well if he was barefoot he wouldn't be doing that time for sure but compared to maybe the shoes that he had before that um and that's like a controversial kind of topic at the moment but over on the powerlifting scene it's just a given that you wear these wraps that add so much uh, well that's the thing they they have a division another division raw and wraps so the raw division would be like bare knees uh so some people will compete with no... Yeah, I prefer that. Um, it's, it's kind of like... Um, well, I'm talking about I like the fact that there's raw and there... Because I think there's maybe more categories than I'm aware of, for sure. But I like the fact that they've got, say, raw. So you can just see how much the human body can do. And then they're like, fuck it. Just <laughs> do whatever you can to lift as much weight. It's kind of a similar argument or debate you could have with drugs in sports like you d you don't want people to use drugs when it's banned but equally you want to see how far the human body can go like go for it yeah with equipment as well in in the powerlifting it's um it's a completely different technique as well almost like with the knee wraps you can't really lean forward as much as i would if i was wearing knee sleeves because there's so much spring in the uh, in the wraps that any kind of movement that's not up and down will be exaggerated and it will like ping you forward or back. So it's very easy to like unrack a bar and if you're leaning slightly forward, you won't because you can't really bend your legs very easily. You can't like walk around with the bar to stabilize it if it starts to rock back or forward. Um, so yeah, the technique's slightly different. Uh, How long did that take to adjust? So I only started putting wraps on probably four, five weeks before the competition and I used them once a week up until then. So I don't think I fully got used to them. Um, but I didn't really want to do it more than that just because it's so painful. So each week I do like three squats in the wraps and um, by the time you get to the third one, the back of your knees are all red and all of your hair's gone all around your knees. Did you wrap, do wraps in the mock competition? Yeah, I did, yeah. I got uh, I got my housemate to wrap them. So when I was going to do the actual competition, there's some guys that have been to like the equipped powerlifting world championship, and they love wrapping these. Like they know about every different type of wrap and different material, and it's like a whole nother subject for them. Um, and they're crazy good at doing it. So when I went to this powerlifting gym and was practicing, they were wrapping my knees, and they could do it super tight. Um, and when I got to the actual mock meet, obviously you're not allowed anyone over in lockdown. So I had my um, housemate do it and he actually did a really good job. Um, but obviously not quite as good as those guys that are, have made it their mission to be good at wrapping knees. <laughs> but did you need to be convinced to 
have your knees wrapped initially? Like, were, were you initially like, oh, there's no need? Well, I didn't even know it was painful. I heard it would add, add a bit of weight, and I knew what they did and, you know, gives you a bit more spring. So I was like, oh, yeah, that should be fine. And then um, my powerlifting friend was like, oh, we'll take you to the powerlifting gym, get this sand guy to wrap your knees. And I was like, yeah, that sounds good. And he's like, oh, you're going to be in so much pain. It's going to be so funny. And I was like, hang on, what, what do you mean I'm going to be in so, so much pain? And he was like, yeah, it's, it's really painful. Did you not know that? I was like, no. Um, so they were they were hyping it up loads before I put them on. And then, yeah, when they put the... I think the first time was the worst. So, yeah, it was painful. And there's there's no reason you would use it, um, like, unless you were training for a competition. Is that kind of how you look at it? Like, just say someone's listening to this that's a recreational lifter and is like, oh, maybe I should try them. There's no reason to try them unless they're working towards a competition or... It's hard to get them on properly. You can do it wrong. There's a lot more risk when you do the squat because you'll typically be handling more weight where there's more risk for injury. Your technique has to be better. It's way better just to either wear nothing or just normal knee sleeves, I think. Um, and I always just train in knee sleeves. Like I probably I won't use wraps again unless I compete in a competition that uses them. It was just the only competition left, and because they had them, I was like, well, I guess I, guess I have to use them. Yeah. Was there any other equipment uh, that became kind of essential or that you might use moving forward more say like a weightlifting belt yeah so i used a, a belt before um i bought some specific deadlift shoes which have a really thin flat sole um so that helps a lot uh if you have like normal trainers obviously what were they uh they're called sabo or sabo i don't know how you say it deadlift shoes i think they're russian or something but they uh yeah they're pretty nice for deadlifting uh and then i guess a singlet I didn't think a singlet would help lifts at all, but it kind of does in a placebo way because it's almost like a weightlifting belt, but for your whole body. It's like a tight Lycra singlet. It keeps everything compact. Uh, yeah, is is this like a onesie? As in like it's the whole body? Yeah, Yeah, it's just like two, two shoulder straps, uh, one-piece kind of suit, little shorts, and yeah. Okay, and is it, did you get a specific one for powerlifting? As in like a, a brand that makes them for powerlifting. Yeah, so there's, like you said earlier, you don't know know how many divisions. There's loads of powerlifting divisions and some other divisions, instead of having knee wraps, they'll have wraps and also a squat suit, which is like a type of singlet that is stitched in a certain way that it stops you going into the squat position. So when you put a weight on your back, it kind of springs you out of the suit. So there's loads of different suits uh, like that. And then you just have the normal powerlifting singlet, which is not supposed to provide any assistance it's just like a lycra yeah singlet okay so the one you got is just a a general one yeah yeah just a general one and there's quite a few different brands as well so i just asked around compared to say um compression clothes did it feel like it had more compression to it yeah it's exactly like compression clothes but it's way thicker so imagine like you know you when you wear skins or something imagine those but probably like five times as thick and then around your whole upper body and upper legs i can imagine what you mean man saying that it helps yeah. so when you bench yeah you like arch your back in the bench it like pulls the the singlet like really tight and then almost as you pull your arms back it's almost like you feel like you're going to have some extra spring even if you don't yeah nice because olympic lifting has them as well i have uh three from when i would compete in olympic lifting but um, none of them have like a feel to them. I think it's more just to completely minimize what you're wearing so it's easier to judge the lift. Yeah, so that's supposed to be the reason to have them in powerlifting as well. And like I said, it's not, it's not, supposed, it's not supposed to add anything. It just feels nicer to lift in. It's <laughs> just, yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. Um, uh, it it kind of sucks. Like I'm glad how it went for you, the competition, but... It kind of sucks that it got cancelled for you. I'm not bothered this... at all, to be honest. The only benefit would have been I'd have had my name on a list of, like, oh, there's a website called Open Powerlifting where it's basically a giant table of every competition result. So you can just search all, all UK lifters, you know, this weight class, males, and see where you are. But uh, I'm really not bothered about competition. Like, I do it for a personal improvement. So for me, I did the best list I've done in that gym 
so it's like for me it counts as much as in competition the self-improvement was Mm -hmm. the same um and so what some people don't get to see it in person and i'm not against other people it doesn't really bother me that aspect of it that's good like that's definitely the right attitude to have like if you got all bogged down and didn't compete or something like that would be a waste and stuff it fully didn't even as soon as it was cancelled i was just didn't didn't even care at all like i did a full weight cut and everything exactly the same as i would have done loads of people were messaging me like um oh why are you weight cutting it's dangerous it's like well because i'm trying to weigh in at a weight class and do you think like yeah (laughs) people like we shouldn't really weight cut now you're not doing the competition just because it's dangerous and i was like well competition or no competition it's internally for me i don't see it as any different yeah that's cool man you definitely strike me as that type of person that's very um once you set your mind to something you'll do it and there's not much or anything that can sway you from that it's very tony ferguson of you to cut that weight <laughs> for the uh for the weightlifting. um for me uh it was this, it was similar it was i kind of as things were getting worse or stricter with the with coronavirus i had a feeling that the marathon was going to get cancelled um and then it looked like it was going to go ahead and then a day later they updated and were like no it's cancelled um so admittedly like the next few training runs were like why the why the fuck am i here now it's been cancelled um i think it's just because uh i don't even know if i can articulate it it's it's just, a bit different with a marathon, though. Yeah, like go, going out, doing it in front of a crowd. Like I don't doubt that you would probably perform as good or better. But how long like. does how long does a squat last? Like three seconds. I've only got to be under the bar for less than a minute, probably in total, and it's done. Like if you're running a for multiple hours, uh, yeah, you don't really want to do that by yourself. It wouldn't be uh, that interesting. Yeah, oh, that's so tough, man. Um, yeah. Anyway, so you've done your powerlifting now. Are you gonna do say like a a deload or a break and then start it up again? Do you have your sights set on something else? The problem I'm in now. So the way I normally work is I will decide what I want to do, write some goals, write a program of like baby steps of how to get those goals in a certain time frame, and then I'll accomplish them and start again. I'm now in the in-between phase where I don't have any goals written down. I accomplished all the powerlifting ones and it's like, hmm, now what do I want to do? Because I've got, you know, tricking, calisthenics, weightlifting, powerlifting. Which ones do I want to progress? Um, I think definitely tricking. So I need to write down some new moves I want to learn or new combos. Um, Maybe some calisthenics stuff, to be honest, like get some planches back, some one-arm chins, stuff like that. I think tricking and calisthenics will kind of go hand in hand because it's all body weight movements um how do you decide i don't know uh i I just write them down and write the program and then i just kind of blindly follow it all the work's done up front um just have a long hard think i kind of want to see if i can progress weightlifting a bit more just because now my base strength is increased from powerlifting um you mean uh olympic lifting when you say weightlifting? Yeah, weightlifting, Olympic lifting. So, A lot of people say weightlifting and mean Olympic lifting. <laughs> yeah, two or three uh, Olympic lifting sessions a week. Two, two or three tricking sessions. and calis- I'll probably mix... I'll probably warm up with Olympic lifts um, for like a calisthenic session. How do you feel with... Um, when you're making a program being a... Uh, like a bit being a student of so many different disciplines do you always i mean the answer is kind of there because you just focused on powerlifting for so long but do you feel like you struggle to focus on one thing like you you want two or three things so it's more interesting for you do you like because your mind needs more than one thing yeah um i do find it really hard just to decide and but once I've decided, I've decided. Like, when I decided on those powerlifting goals, it was like, okay, that that's it. It's just deciding what I want to do up front. Once I have the direction, it's easy. 
so you don't have like a nagging voice halfway through a program that's like oh i'd rather be doing something else or i normally enjoy the process of doing it so if i and because it's kind of short like this powerlifting thing was like one of the longest blocks of focusing on something that i've done it was only four months um so i was like oh it'd be cool to have a tricking session but you know i know i could do one soon enough and when you're training like when i was training powerlifting that hard it's like i was so achy and fatigued i almost wouldn't be able to do a tricking session so i wasn't like oh i really want to trick because i feel great right now um so yeah kind of but not enough to stop uh, and deter me from my path right and you've had um you've uh, you've been doing um was a question come on tyson it was to do with you doing multiple <laughs> to do with you doing multiple things um you're just kind of gonna like you, you're gonna kind of wait and see what comes to you or if nothing no like inspiration hits you're gonna kind of just logically step back and go like where is my body at it's really strong but not tricked for a while so i should balance that out with uh with some tricking like do you kind of wait for the inspiration or you kind of have this mold or idea of what you want to be at like a high level i already know everything i'd want to be which is just generally athletic but to a high level in every aspect so you know i'd like to be able to just drop down into box splits and front splits whenever i want uh so i'd need to improve my flexibility i'd want to be able to hit certain body weight lifting power lifting and olympic lifting and do a bunch of calisthenics moves at quite a high level. Um, I've, I've, I've never been able to do all of those goals at the same time. So I kind of, yeah, work on one at a time. And by the time I get back round to something I've worked on before, I'm at a higher starting point normally, even if I've lost some of the skills. So I think eventually, given enough time, there'll be a point where I can do all the things at the same time. And I'll be kind of an all-round athlete that, have, you know, be some kind of like superhero that can just do everything at the same time. Yeah, I have this kind of dream. Well, it's not really a dream, but I have like this video I think would be cool where it's all just shot in one shot. And it goes from you, it starts off with you doing like a back full, like a standing back full or something. And then when you stick that, you walk over and there's a barbell with like 300 kilos on it and you deadlift it. Then you put that down and then you step forward into the splits and then you like pull yourself out into planche, press to handstand and come out. It's like all athleticism in one take. But I, I get that thing that you get, which everyone would get if they're striving at a high level for multiple disciplines, is that if I'm doing, say, training for straddle planche or full planche or something, and I get it, and then I decide to go and do, I don't know, marathon training, I decide to do Olympic lifting and want to snatch 120 kilos, for example, by the time I get to snatching the 120 kilos, I probably don't have that full planche anymore because of the its specific strength or it's a specific skill that requires practice and preparation. So it can always be like a point where you need to explain to people that are lesser trained, like you'll do something and then they're like, can you still planche? And you'll say no. They're like, but I thought you used to be able to do it. And you have to explain that like, yeah, this is specific strength. This stuff takes preparation to do. And once you build that up, you likely didn't have the time to maintain something else. So it's like a weird, uh, a weird balance to try and maintain um in your training and i know that you would that you have that as well um what i remembered the thing i was going to ask you it was about how you seemingly like you do a lot of disciplines right so you got your tricking power lifting um just like tumbling you've got your mobility stuff uh calisthenics but it seems to me like from an outside perspective that you seem kind of done now in terms of adding new things like new things to get really good at is that an accurate assessment or is it a never say never kind of thing where you're always going to go where 
you seem to be interested. Like, could you add rock climbing and get super good at that in the future? Could you want to pursue and get your uh, BJJ black belt or something? Or do you kind of feel set? Well, that's kind of a hard question. Like, um, <laughs> there's other things I do which are non-athletic traits, which I can easily pick up and will continue to do so, like speed solving, Rubik's Cubes and um, things like that. And just, you know, like last week I wanted to learn how to use a new editing program and color grade and all so i learned all that and that was good i'm never by no means ever going to be like a master or high skilled in those things but they keep me occupied in terms of uh learning other stuff i feel like i've done almost all of the subject areas that i want like i've, I've tried them all pick the ones i enjoy the most and progress them like rock climbing is kind of fun time to time but I'm not that bothered at getting really good at it. It's, it's just I wouldn't ever have that much motivation for it. Whereas these other things I can ha can have lots of motivation for. I'm just drawn to those things. Um, the MMA one's hard because you mentioned BJJ getting a black belt in that. That would be really cool. And I do really like uh, martial arts type stuff in general just because it kind of fits all those other athletic traits I'm trying to go towards. Um, and it's a, a useful skill and it takes a lot of mental toughness. Um, I feel like if I would have, when I was a kid and did like boxing for a year or whatever, if I'd have just continued that and really pushed myself into MMA with the same passion as tricking and stuff, I could have been really good at that as well. But that comes with a bunch of additional risks, uh, way more risk of injury and you know brain damage and stuff like that, and it's hard to get a career in that. Uh, I mean, even some guys in the UFC earn like less than what I earn now having a, a normal job, so that that wouldn't have probably worked out. So, yeah, I think I'm happy with the... If if something comes along that I've no, not heard of or tried before and I try it and I'm like, wow, this is really fun, then, yeah, definitely, if if that's what my, what my brain wants to do, I'll do it. And do you have any... Because I think you and me are the same age. I turned 30 this year. I think you turned 30 recently or last year? Uh, February, February, two months ago. Yeah, so you and me are... I definitely wouldn't say we're out of our athletic prime but we are kind of either in the middle or on the way down soon as we enter our mid 30s um do you kind of have any kind of long-term plan for your fitness and your training because i feel so many of us put a lot into what we are as young men which is extremely fit and capable of a lot of things and we kind of just ignore the fact that that's going to change one day as we, I don't know, need to take longer to warm up, uh, get injured easier, and we're not going to be as strong as we were before. Um, an example being, it would be beneficial for you to pick up Olympic lifting at 20 as opposed to picking it up at 50 because there's things that are going to be so beneficial to have learned then that you can't then do at 50. just cause, like You can't not do Olympic lifting but I don't think you can get the most out of it starting at late. Have you got any kind of plan mapped out? So my thoughts on this are basically, it's never going to be like one day where you suddenly can't progress. And people that start like Olympic lifting at 50, say, and they have absolutely no base, they can still like improve for them. Um, and I know what you're saying, that like they're not going to get to as high a level if they started at 20. Um, and would I... You know, when I get older, I'll just continue as I am and I'll still make little wins here and there and I'll make losses elsewhere, but those little wins will still be fun. I mean, if I started Olympic lifting at 20 and did it, you know, consistently, I'd be better at it. But if I started at 30 and never got to as high a level, I think I'd still be just as happy because I like the, the personal progress. The same as if I start something at 50. I'm not going to start something at 50 and be like, uh, I wish I started this earlier because I'm never going to be as good as I could have been. Like that kind of goes without saying and I'm like internally happy enough to just progress at a slower rate as long as I'm progressing. Um, for In terms of plans mapped out, um, uh, it's hard, that's a hard one to be honest. I'm not really sure. I think I'll just continue as I am. Um, tricking will... I guess it will get harder, but the moment it hasn't, like I've, I've got to 30 and I feel as good as I ever did. Um, 
So at some point, if I, if I start to decline, I'll switch. I think unless you had injuries, I don't think you'd expect... Yeah, I don't think you'd expect to decline by now. But um, one thing that I think a lot of people don't maybe think about or prepare for is say you did your powerlifting program and you got up to, uh, to doing your lifts that you did. And w- were they all PBs, the bench press, squat and deadlift? Yeah, so they were all PBs. So then you would logically think, okay, well, if I go away um, and then come back and do another block, I should be able to improve on this. Like there's going to come a day where you're not doing lifetime PBs anymore. Um, Another example might be, say I got full planche, which for someone my size is a very specific strength skill. That's awesome. And maybe I can go away come back and train up to get it again but there's going to be a day where i'm going to go away come back and train for it and i'm just not going to have that at strength least in there. the example of powerlifting um powerlifting has obviously the three lifts squat bench and deadlift but there's so many other accessory lifts and there's hundreds of them that i've never tried like i've never tried a safety squat bar so even if i get older and my base strength has decreased and i try a safety bar squat for the first time i can probably get used to that movement and hit a PB, you know, a few weeks later and a few weeks later on at least that movement. So there'd be some kind of internal reward there. And then if, um, say, say everything did decrease in powerlifting and I, by that time I've still not done any cardio, then I can definitely increase my cardio. I could start running or something. As long as it's something athletic. There's just so, there's so much variety of things to do that I can always progress at something and by the time you know as the years go by i gain more and more knowledge about various disciplines and it all kind of links together in some way or another it's just a better understanding of you know fitness and movements in general so yeah it's definitely to our advantage having such a wide base now because it makes whenever there's any kind of adversity whether it's injury whether it's lockdown with coronavirus uh, whether you're getting older, we always kind of have a, a card to play. Whereas if all you do is like one thing, um, as in terms of longevity, you could maybe set yourself up for failure. So I feel like in that respect, you and me have the right kind of training philosophy or approach. Um, I just feel like that one risk is that the one thing that makes you so good at your tricking and your lifting is uh, well, not just you specifically, but makes people good when they're young. Uh, that drive and that that need to keep pushing it is what can almost be, if they've not planned for it, uh, an athlete's undoing as they get older. You see it kind of in the in the UFC, perhaps, where that they're on the down side the downside of their career and they keep accepting that one fight that one fight because they've not prepared for the day where they're not gonna be at the top anymore um for me that would be fine like i also think if uh you took in took like up some kind of coaching role like as i got older i wouldn't mind like i would love to have a space to provide for other people to train with like you know really good olympic lifting bars really good power lifting bars all this variety of equipment that we don't have in any of the gyms around here. If um, you had a place like that, even if you were old and past past it, you, and you had these young guys in and they were progressing really fast and it's kind of because of you. So you're still kind of, you're helping other people progress. It's still an internal personal win, at least it would be for me. So, you know, maybe that's an option for the future. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, well, I, I have that kind of dream or goal or idea as well is to have your own space that you can let people in and you can share like there's olympic lifting there's tricking there's there's power lifting there's martial arts like it's all there because these are the things i think are important for people that's a good idea to have man it probably is starting in your garage it's hard <laughs> to get the capital and there's always so much risk with starting something like that but maybe one day i will um it, i mean there's been times when I haven't been able to train or people have stopped me training. And, you know, if you, if there could just be a place where someone can provide that environment for you to progress in, it'd be so helpful. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you're doing, you're partly doing that with your, um, 
with your YouTube at least. I think that's what a lot of us try to do, you know? I'm trying to do more tutorials. I've got one that I'm uploading today. And I try to like at least share some insight in every video about the method. Like when I did the powerlifting one, I shared the, the water cut and, you know, listed the supplements I was taking to to help get the water gone and water loading and stuff. So hopefully people learn a little bit from them. I found the way that you've been doing your videos uh, really interesting, man. I've been really enjoying the insights that you give, which is different to what I think the average YouTuber or influencer would do. I think you go in the right direction of making it that bit more unique and giving that bit of insight. That's the kind of style I appreciate anyway. Um, but uh, speaking of that, man, um, we'll, we'll wrap it there, but I want people to know where they can find you. Um, what are your social medias of choice and where can people connect with you? So um, you can normally find me at just Hayden Wiseman on everything. So my Instagram is just Hayden Wiseman, one word. My YouTube is Hayden Wiseman, two words. Um, Hayden is spelled really strange though. It's spelled H-A-D-Y-N. It looks wrong, but that's how it's spelled. Um, I called you Haddon for so long in my head. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably do the same, to be honest. I don't know why my parents spelled it that way. It's, it's because it's my granddad's middle name, and he spells it that way. So, um, And it's Welsh? I don't know. Someone told me it was, so uh, maybe they're right. Not sure. Okay, H-A-D-Y-N. Yeah, everyone should go and check him out. He's uh, grinding with YouTube at the moment and putting out some awesome content. And uh, thanks for coming on the podcast today, man. Thanks a lot for having me.